Welcome to our new edition of Mystic Skeptic Radio. Today, we are taking a break from our regular broadcast in which we discuss genealogy, history, and persecution, and we will be discussing current events and what's been going on lately in the news. Our co-host is Joe Baylock. Welcome to Mystic Skeptic Radio. Um, we've been doing this for the last uh, seven to eight years, and it's been a you know going straight to the subject uh, kind of show. We don't talk much about ourselves or the impetus for having this program. But as I've been discussing to one of uh, our biggest supporters, uh, Joe Baylog, throughout the years, uh, there's so many things to discuss. There's so many deep subjects to address, and we only hear like a surface level introduction or discussion about what's going on in the world at this time. So Joe, people know that uh, I'm from Mexico. I'm very outspoken about certain views and we tackle every single subject under the sun on the show. So we've been uh, kind of scattered brain when it comes down to our topics. But when it comes down to issues that are going on in the world that need to be uh, looked at deeply, I hope that our audience trusts me right now that uh, we have uh, an interest in the well-being of the world and we want to help people think through the repercussions of some of the actions of the players, political and other kinds in the world. So I asked Joe and his friend Grant to uh, share a little bit about themselves. And the reason that um, I think it's important for the audience to get to know us is that they can... The more they get to know you, the more they trust you and they believe in what you're saying. I'll bring up why um, this is important in a minute. But if you can just do like a, a elevator pitch on who are you and what's your deal. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, David, always good. I've been on your show like, what, a dozen times or so in the last five or six years. And uh, always good. But yeah, uh I'm just a guy from Traverse City. Uh, I am from Michigan. I went to college at Aquinas in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I moved back here three years ago. Uh, after traveling around, I lived in Mexico for about a year. I've been to Kenya for a month. I've done a lot of nonprofit work. I lived and worked in Chicago in nonprofits, working with middle school students. I lived in a monastery for a year, and you and I have talked about that a lot on the show and um also uh about living on the farm and studying permaculture and uh so recently i um moved back to grand rapids and have been building a life here and um i'm an orthodox christian so i go to an antiochian church um, and converted from roman catholicism i was evangelical for a while too um, and I'm in the data world, so I've been a data technician and an analyst, and now I'm a data engineer at a corporation in Grand Rapids, and uh, I'm very fortunate to have a very good job um, and have very good friends that live here, but I, I'd say, like, <clears throat> on your show, I'm, I'm mostly uh, trying to be the reasonable guy and giving, like, a a differing opinion from yours, especially considering uh, some differences we have in our background culturally and um, religiously. So that's a, a hell of a dating profile, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very lengthy. You're going to get a lot of hits. <laughs> All right, great. This is why I'm on your show, David, to get, to get a lady. 
This is and, he's, and he's available. Yeah, that's up. Single <laughs> and ready to mingle. <laughs> okay, what about you, Grant? You don't have to go in that much detail, like homeboy uh, telling you our whole his whole life story. Yeah, um, well, I, I wish I could. I totally would. But yeah, I'm. Uh, mine's a little bit quicker. I also grew up in Traverse City, actually just down the street from Joe. And uh, just... Uh, just a metal worker. That's all I've ever been doing. It's just working with metal. So, well, well, uh, you can be our um, our bouncing um, board or the the sounding board to as we bring up these subjects. Because my name is uh, David Daniel Gonzalez. I'm the host of the show, and the reason that that we started doing the show is because where uh, Joe and I used to live at the Farm Intentional Community. There was a lot of talk about progressive ideas. There was a lot of talk about conspiracy theories. There was a lot of very clever um, perspectives that were being brought to the forefront. But I, mm -hmm. I felt that we needed to discuss them to uh, their logical conclusion. And I've gone back and forth from being uh, conservative to liberal to in between. And I keep being disappointed with everyone. And I keep feeling that I'm being played with because there's so much like it's almost like we live in a world full of advertisement and propaganda and you only get half of the story that makes that particular individual look good and then the rest gets shoved under the rug and everything's going to be all right just follow me kind of stuff and as um, spiritual folks we we believe that you cannot the blind cannot follow the blind if you're limited in your understanding if you don't have enough information and then you have some prankster who's trying to take advantage of you. It's a recipe for the disaster. So the more information, the more we communicate, the more free speech and investigation that we do on subjects, the more we can come to with a clearer picture of what's going on. So the first topic I'm going to throw to you guys is something that um, that I've been chewing on for a while. And it's this the end of journalism in uh, in American society. I took journalism classes and my communications uh, degree, and they talked about being unbiased. They talked about being uh, objective. And what you notice in the in all different media is that nobody uh, is capable of doing that because they have not only an agenda, but a problem of access. So if you get Bernie Sanders, uh, Donald Trump, or... Uh, someone from the Biden administration, including the president on your show, you're only allowed to ask certain questions. You're only allowed to bring the conversation to a certain uh, path or they shut you down. They blackball uh, you. They dismiss you from the press corps and you're out. So in a very subtle and manipulative way, the media has become a mouthpiece for the government or for particular officials, because if they do anything that upsets them, they lose access and the ability to uh, get their perspective or use them as a, as a platform to be able to get more clicks and more uh, people to watch their show. So instead of being completely anti-journalists, like they, they're in Mexico where they kill the journalists that speak ill of the government, of the gangs, of the people in power, here, they force them to comply and fall in line. And I think that's worse 
because you don't know who your enemy is. You're you're trapped in this sounding box where you can only say what resonates with them, and then you're keeping people ignorant. What do you guys think, uh, Joe? You who have, who have traveled, do you think that the system has become so corrupt that there's really no more journalism and no ability to challenge the powerful and to bring out to the forefront uh, things that are harmful to society? Probably not. There's some people who are still genuinely doing it, right? But it's just perhaps more difficult to find. And I don't know any real journalists, so I don't really have any anecdotes to share uh, from that angle or any like deeper insight about what the industry is going through. I would say maybe that is one thing is like, it's very interesting. And I've thought about this a lot um, in data and like working in manufacturing bin stuff. Like it's, it's very different when you're inside of an industry and talking about what's going on and these sort of insights and information that you have versus outside. So like even the state of journalism is going to have a different conversation, whether you're working at Fox news or you're just reading Fox news. And I think that's like a, a big piece of it. The travel piece I think is interesting, right? Like um, different. I lived in Mexico for a little bit. So like you definitely get the sense that people are generally distrustful of the news that they read, except for the fact that it is true. Like the violence is all real. Um, the drug stuff is all real but they're not being told actually what's happening in their government. Same thing with Kenya and Kenya for, you know, it's just more like tribal. So like that influences a lot of the media and they know like, if you're from a certain tribe, you're going to read these types of newspapers. But I think in the States, like it's, it's difficult. It's much more difficult to parse out like what's really good and um, what's not. I think people kind of like find personalities that they like and just to follow them. How yeah. about you, Grant, as, as someone who, um, you know, just take care of your family and doing what's good for, for your livelihood. Do you feel like why we even waste your time uh, reading or listening to stuff? If, if, if it doesn't benefit you, why even bother? Or are you open to hearing everybody's perspective? No, I, the way I always kind of view stuff is uh, you really need to see, I mean, I, I so like, I, I kind of agree that, I mean, there's so much bias in all of our major media, especially, but you kind of need to see all sides of it because if you start just only watching whatever one news network or reading one paper or whatever, I mean, that's, that's dangerous. And then you, you get whole communities doing that. And then it's just like burying your head in the sand type thing. Um, so I think you need to be able to be able to read or see news from all sorts of, or whatever journalism or reporting or whatever, from all sorts of different angles and, uh, you know, be able to kind of see what, what is BS and what actually isn't total BS. But I mean, the U S I think it's really hard at this point. I think one of the things I look for when I'm, when I'm looking to see what's up in the news or something is, is looking at people or journalists that, uh, that can ask critical questions. Um, and like, like, like they've, you know, they're not, they're not 
there's no financial benefit to some major news corporation or, you know, whatever. And uh, they can be more critical about stuff and ask tougher questions and have, have more real conversations. But how can you survive in modern uh, state of affairs without a financial component? Like even uh, back in the days when uh, all you had was print, um, you needed to put ads to, um, to be able to create the newspaper. So if the guy that sells shoes um, doesn't like a certain candidate, um, then next thing you know, you're going to be writing something that is um, favorable to the guy that you're trying to sell the ad to. So um, isn't capitalism the problem? Like if there was no need to have to have sponsors for um, the media, then they would be more free to speak on any subject. But I've noticed even in NPR and KPFT here in Houston, which is a, a Pacifica uh, station, another nonprofit or, uh, you know, they, they say listener supported uh, radio. They only uh, run stuff that makes their listeners happy. So if a conservative person comes in and starts talking about something they don't agree, they'll boot them out because they're paying for liberal media. And uh, uh, National Public Radio is the same thing. Uh, at one point, it was so bad, the, the Democratic influence of... Um, what they were saying, they had a, a guy from the New York Times trying to knock Bernie out of the race that I called the FCC and I said, uh, this is just a commercial for the candidate they like. And they're trying to uh, blackball uh, Bernie because he doesn't uh, support their agenda. How can you let this be considered public radio and community uh, sponsored or government sponsored when it's so clearly biased? And the lady told me, um, well, you're the first one to complain. If we get enough complaints, we'll investigate. Mm -hmm. So I almost needed to, to have a, you know, an army of callers to uh, get them to look into how ridiculously biased it was. So what's bringing about this discussion is the horrendous interview with uh, the John Stewart and his new Apple show did with Condoleezza Rice and Hillary Clinton. And mm -hmm. the people who have been criticizing how softball and um, non-confrontational he was during the questioning have not addressed that he most likely is a big financial supporter of uh, both regimes. Maybe not the, the, the Bush one, but at least the, the Clinton slash Obama uh, and maybe even the Biden one. So now that he's a donor, he's not going to shoot himself in the foot and get into a fight with Clinton on on his show because then he loses influence. And maybe he has become with time more um, like hoping to do a little by little change instead of radical quick change. So he cannot be so uh, poignant that he alienates uh, his uh, guests. So he has to kind of maneuver through the, the BS and propaganda that they were uh, putting out, but it really makes him look uh, unable to to challenge them and uh, almost like part of the problem. Um, were you guys ever um, 
followers of John Stewart and did you ever think that he was doing a good job at bringing up issues in government uh, when he was uh, running the Daily Show? Uh, it's interesting you bring up John Stewart. I'm actually a really big fan of John Stewart, but I did see I've seen that episode or I've heard that episode yet, but I saw that uh, Hillary Clinton was on there and I I thought that was kind of weird. I just saw like the couple of clips, you know, that were shown on like, I think Instagram or whatever. And it, it seemed weird in the short, you know, it's several seconds of the interaction, but it seemed like he wasn't being very critical um, with her about stuff. Not, not in the way he usually seems to be with a lot of people he's interviewed. So I guess I'm curious to see that episode now at this point, but. Yeah, I don't know. I uh, he's. I think he usually does a pretty good job about being pretty objective about things. And I mean, he's done a lot of other good things, like the uh, how was the Pact Act recently? Um, you know, he's helped out with that. He helped try to get first responders for nine eleven healthcare, and uh, that was like an eighteen year process. And he kind of came in at the end and. I mean, he kind of made a bunch of comments. He's like, why is it, why is it got to take a celebrity person to get healthcare for first responders in 9-11? And, you know, same, same type of thing can happen with the PACT Act. It's much quicker, but um, yeah, interesting. I actually, yes, yeah, so like I said, I, I am a big fan of Jon Stewart, um, but everyone has a bias. You know, that's just kind of the unfortunate thing to it and i don't know if it's just like a everyone wants to believe you know the confirmation bias uh, element to it or whatever but i don't know interesting do you follow him no i didn't follow him but i liked him i mean i think he's a good uh tv persona what he does you know outside of that like grant was saying is probably big but it is it's like you're part of <clears throat> he has a job and so he has to get paid and all of this and he's part of a network and they have to get paid and so you could go back and be like well it's capitalism but capitalism is the very reason why we're even watching the show in the first place so you can't fight against that on principle um and it's more like we're just beneficiaries of it and what his you know changing political uh ties might be because of the finances yeah of course that's natural i'm i'm expecting people to get corrupted the, the more fame they get the more power they get i'm not expecting the inverse so that's not necessarily surprise even if bernie for god's sake even if bernie sanders was elected president tomorrow or whatever i i I expect very few people to be able to withstand the pressure of fame and riches and glory. Like it's not, <laughs> these are these forces that have brought down most people throughout history. So um, I, you know, I like the guy though. And, and I think most of his shows were funny and he was good at making criticisms. So it, it's kind of sad that, you know, someone like that who has a gift obviously is not going to use it. Uh, let's say neutrally right and when he's in front of other political uh forces or you know different types of political people like uh 
but a lot of these guys too, the the Comedy Central guys and other people who have been on major networks and then have had their own spinoff shows or whatever. You know, it, it's like at some point most people tend to buckle. So it's almost like in your generation who have been the great voices to listen to and for how long. And then you can kind of sort through all of history and pick certain voices and be like, well, they were reasonable for their time. Uh, but I think uh, with John Stewart too, you know, cause he's not involved with the comedy central anymore. And so he's, he's with Apple TV now or something, or that's like the network that, I think his show is normally released on. Um, but it's a much more, it's way more objective, uh, I believe, than the Daily Show would have been. And I think just because of the fact that he's not on like a major, major networking, um, you know, payroll at this point. So, I don't know. He's He's always been pretty critical about when things are, when people make weird decisions or uh, asking pretty hard questions on his, on his new show. Well, let's talk about that because I, I've been considering all the, the ramifications of, of what happened. And um, I would always get disappointed when I would hear, um, you know, we're trying to get someone who's not Trump or we're trying to get someone who's not uh, Obama or something like that elected. And they'll say jokes the benefit their the candidate like, uh, so that that is almost like a human trait to to do that. But when they actually criticize the people that they like, to me that shows that they are an equal offender or equal uh, insulter of of everyone. So then it's like okay, they they are being objective. But um, he has a tendency to have some like a little too much respect for the Clintons and very little respect towards Obama. If you ever watch his old interviews of uh, Bill Clinton, he was like salivating over him and making him look good. And then Obama, he was calling him dude and he was like being kind of disrespectful. And um, they, there are some people who say that he has some bias, racial bias or something like that. But um, it, uh, another a comedian was saying that the Clintons must have something on Jon Stewart because he, <laughs> he, he turns into a puppy. Uh, when they come around and and uh, the issue that no one has thought about is that um, with the whole uh, woke and cancel culture maybe he as much of a rebel that he claims he is he's walking on eggshells when he has two powerful women in front of him because if he were to um, challenge uh, Clinton all the Clinton fans are going to say oh he's a sexist pig and then if he were to challenge Condi they would say, oh, he's a racist, um, you know, anti-conservative. So he he now has to play the same game that we've all fallen trap into is the politically correct game. So now he he could do anything he wants because he's a millionaire, because Apple came to him, because he has the clout and the uh, ability to have, you know, if he loses his show, he doesn't lose anything because he's already proven that he's good. So why would he uh, not challenge them and not upset them? And and he would even become more viral if, uh, if Condi and, and Clinton walked out of the interview.
but instead he's now the appeaser and the one who's trying to make sure that their legacy gets respected and that other women get a foot in the door thanks to the sacrifices of Hillary and Condi. And to me, that that just shows that maybe it's not money what corrupted him, but it's mm -hmm. stupidity, is the is the desire to want to change the world for better, but giving up all his values and his ability to uh, to make a difference for the sake of what are people going to say about me if I go too hard on these two ladies. Yeah. Have you have you seen many of his episodes from his new show? I've tried. Um, when he first started, it was just him and a bunch of producers or assistants, yeah. and they would talk about random stuff. And I was like, whatever. I don't know who these people are. And right. then he did a really good one on racism and a really good one about media bias or media um the limitations of modern media and that's mm -hmm. the thing is that both him and colbert um used to be funny because they were poignant and they were um s satirical and ironic and stuff like that and now they're both tame like like i guess when they get mm -hmm. older they say well maybe i was a little too harsh on people and it's almost mm -hmm. like the interview i don't know if you guys seen the interview between howard stern and uh and um what's the guy um a uh, bill maher it's like oh. having two old ladies uh discuss <laughs> you know how to make the world a better place like one yeah, is like, just saying it. the the guy that used to have women uh have sex on his show now is talking about how he went to a therapist and he learned so much about himself and how he can be better towards his family and the other guy's talking about how much he loves musicals. And I'm like, yeah. what the heck happened to these two, you know, <laughs> hardcore guys? And it's because they're getting old and they're tired of being known as the troublemakers. So now they want to mm -hmm. be everybody's dad and everybody's yeah. grandma. And mm -hmm. I'm afraid that um, that's how uh, Colbert and um, Stewart kind of sold out that they uh, they can only pick so many fights. So maybe they're tired. And they're like, well, yeah. it's better to have a, a, you know, a food in in the door and a, sit in the table than, than to always be screaming from the outside. Yeah, I don't know. I I still disagree with some of that. I think if you watch a lot of the interviews he's done um, during this era of his of John Stewart's new show, I mean, he he's very critical about a lot of people he's a lot more serious than he was on the daily show you know he still makes a lot of jokes and stuff with like his assistants like what you mentioned but it's always um he does usually ask a lot of hard questions like i said i haven't seen this hillary clinton episode and it sounds like it might be pretty disappointing um but then bill maher too he's another interesting person because he's had a lot of criticism from you know all sides, you know, saying things that aren't politically correct. Um, and uh, I don't know, he has some pretty, he'll ask some pretty straightforward, hard questions to people too. And uh, I don't know, I don't think there's as much kind of bias or I don't think they've bent over as much as kind of what you're, what you say. Have you seen much of Bill Maher's show too? I, I watch it every every week and um you know I've had debates with um with Joe's other friend 
uh, about um, Joe Rogan. And it's interesting that um, there's this guy who has a podcast and he takes everything that Joe Rogan says and he actually analyzes it. And he did that for the episode that Bill Maher was there. And if you really think through and you investigate the claims that these guys make, they're actually not that clever. Like they come across as very confident and very clever and very uh, knowledgeable about all subjects. But if you actually break down the things that they're saying, they're actually buffoons in the sense of uh, it doesn't even make sense logically. So I think what comedians have is this ability to have some bravado and some type of uh, like, you know, power in their voice. But and and you almost like they're critical, but they're critical in a, you know, kind of making fun and, and, and goofing off way. So it's easy to go along. But then if you actually take the time to be like, wait a second, they just said something that doesn't work out in real life. And and they always go to like yeah. the most um, basic level. So I've heard Bill Maher say, you know, men are only as faithful as, as they're allowed to be. And, and women should not be uh, wild like men because you can't have just both be wild. And it's like, logically, what he's saying doesn't make any sense. But... It's funny because that's how most people think. Like, it is the first thing that will come to mind. But then if you really think about it, it's like, wait a second, there's more to this. So they have answers for everything. And and that's really the problem is that that's why someone like Trump can be so good at getting people to love him because he's so quick-witted and so able to humiliate people in, in a second and, and show their flaws then he becomes the king of the of the event. Uh, he's the spirit of the party. Even if he has nothing to share, nothing that is worthwhile, he has the ability to um, keep everybody engaged and involved. So I I wonder if uh, you know John Stewart wasn't given the chance to to do his thing. But the one thing that I don't like about him, Bill Maher, uh, and the new guy Jimmy Dore is that they're really good at criticizing other people, but they're really bad at criticizing themselves. Mm, so yeah. I can take every Star Wars movie and shred it to pieces, but I've never made a movie. So it's almost like the the biggest issue in the art world is that uh, critics have no clue what they're talking about because they've never done art themselves. Um, <laughs> so it's really easy to come and poop on somebody else's great but when it all comes down to it um until you've actually done politics until you actually have tried to push bills and stuff like that so that's where condi and hillary had the upper hand with um john john was able to to assist the 9-11 survivors but um they can say well we have 30 40 years of experience working with super difficult people and look at us now, you're just a clown that asks questions. So maybe he was intimidating. Maybe he was kind of put in a situation where uh, I'm not going to allow you to to take over the conversation because that's the other thing that uh, people don't think about. When you're talking to an expert debater, you might be the greatest comedian in the whole world, but if the other person knows how to take over the conversation, you might not be able to get the right questions in. 
I mean, you kind of said it too. Like, I mean, both those guys, Bill Maher and John Stewart, they're, they're comedians first before anything else, really, you know, and they're wealthy ones too. And they both, you know, they've both got long careers doing comedy. So, you know, like you kind of said, that's, they're, they're there as comics and they just happen to have easier, maybe easier access to talk to some of these people, but yeah, maybe they don't have, you know, they don't always have the, the same vocabulary to uh, play the same game as like, you know, whatever, someone like Hillary Clinton or someone who's been in politics for 30, 40, 50 years or whatever. What do you think, Joe? Yeah, I mean, a, a comedian's role is fundamentally different than a politician's. So that's the thing. And when it goes to Sam and talk about Joe Rogan, that's probably why Sam likes Joe Rogan's because he's a comedian. So like there's a, a, a phrase that Sam would say, um, a comedy's or a comedian's job is to bring out insights, right? And when whenever we laugh, it's because there's something true about it. And to your point, it tends to be making fun of what's most basic or lowest lowest common denominators in society or in human nature that we all kind of get, but we don't always talk about or discuss or express. So that a comedian's job is to bring out the obvious and to put it in your face and then make you realize that it's all kind of silly. Or if it's not, not silly, that you can at least laugh about it to try to get through it, right? Because it's working through the human condition from a different perspective. And uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't watch these shows, so I don't know. Like Bill Maher, I always liked Bill Maher because I thought he was relatively unbiased in a lot of things. He'd bring in a panel with, you know, conservative, liberal, and like a moderate guy, and then just try to flay all of them. And I was like, that's impressive. <laughs> you know, like he's able to sort of uh, read into what they're saying enough and bring up counterpoints enough to have an interesting discussion. I think that's part of the difference, right? Is like, um, I don't know even where I'm going with this, but like part of it is like, are you having a political discussion? And when we're having political discourse or talking about major issues, is it a discussion in which things are mutually understood and you can explore a topic? Or is it just picking fun at characters or flaws or blah, blah, blah. So like, yeah, I'd be interested to see how their shows are going now and what their approach is. I don't know. I mean, what you said made me think the actual, the opposite of what you were saying. Maybe like like some some people, they get so much money or they get in a position where everything's going their way in life. So they just say, screw it. I'm now like kind of like you said, the pressure's off. So I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. And that can be more laid back, telling dad jokes, or it can be like, um, I'm really going to press hard on people because no one can touch me. So it, it just kind of depends, I think on the character, the, and the personality and stuff. Um, but yeah. Cause like who took over for, who's the young black guy that did it? Is oh, on for, the Daily show. for the Daily show. Yeah. yeah uh, Trevor Noah. Trevor Noah. I thought he was really funny at first and then later it just became completely obvious that he's totally a liberal and like everything he's saying was like very, pretty much is pro-liberal and it was like, okay, well, 
he, you know, he's playing his hand, so that's fine. But like, uh, it's, I know you and I have talked about um, the very conservative guys too, and some of the mistakes that they've made. And uh, Joe Rogan's obviously a, a buddy with, um, uh, what's his name? The most popular conservative guy, talk okay. show host. Oh, Shapiro? Yeah, the big the big guy who kind of gets belligerent and he's emotional. Oh, Jones. Jones, yeah. Which is another thing, right? It's just like uh, he just brings a different perspective and has a different personality, so people tend to gravitate towards him. I don't know where I'm going with that. I just, <laughs> I just kind of. No, like... I just, I just want to say for our audience, last time I had you and Sam on, you guys were defending Alex Jones' freedom of speech. And now yeah, he got totally. uh, slapped with a billion dollar uh, lawsuit that uh, mm. most people think is is warranted. That if you're causing harm on victims and survivors and you are uh, profiting from it, you should be charged uh, all the money in the world. Because um, what you got to take into account is the emotional toll that it took on, on people while they're grieving to have some crazy lunatic making, um, you know, suggestive um like in obnoxious uh claims that um you know he wasn't only attacking the government and the possibility of the government uh doing this to he was causing harm to individuals not yep. just ideas mm -hmm. is the trial ended uh you know i haven't really been following up on it i <clears throat> i saw the first sandy hook trial and it was interesting and intense uh the way that the um, the way that the defending attorney sent all of Alex Jones's like text messages and emails and whatever all the Sandy Hook stuff to the prosecuting attorney, uh, and that you know they had no idea that they had that information or whatever. So mm -hmm. yeah, just a pretty interesting interesting uh trial to watch and yeah i don't know alex jones is just an interesting guy at this point i liked uh like i said i when he was you know a long time ago it was more like an entertainment thing he's just like some conspiracy guy but then yeah at what point at what point is it just too far and the sandy hook stuff i think is just that point I don't know. Yeah, I think that's real. Like, <laughs> there's, there's a point at which you have to become responsible for your influence. Mm -hmm. and I think that's like the discussion that they're having in the legal system is like, well, mm -hmm. if you have 2 million Twitter followers and one of them happens to go kill somebody because of something that you said, you're you know, not real, you're not technically responsible for it. Because it's not like it's a clear-cut case of you were directing somebody to go commit a crime. Right. However, you know, how far... But, like... Where's the line? Should you... Yeah, but should you take some sort of accountability for it? I mean, especially if you have such a major platform, like Alex Jones with his show, or like we were talking about earlier, like even like Jon Stewart, if Jon Stewart's saying a bunch of wild stuff on his show or something, like... And one of his followers goes and does something. Yeah, you'd have to. You, you think that that person should 
hold themselves accountable for saying something to influence that. But yeah, at what point, uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe that's a better way to look at it, right? Like personal accountability. Because if you work for a major media outlet, you're going to be held responsible for every word that you say, mm-hmm. whether that's, you know, politically correct or not. And mm-hmm. just like what David was saying in the beginning, like, um, who we're talking about, John Stewart, right? Was kind of like, whatever, but now he's like dancing around maybe difficult questions with liberals, maybe because he's now working for Apple and they have a different agenda, right? So like with Alex Jones, though, when you're on free public media, like David is, you can say whatever the hell you want. Right. <laughs> like, right. And, but you know, to how, to how far. So there's like this corporate structure, like the business structure. And I think one of the interesting things, maybe the, the mismark here for Jones and, and other guys is they never got out of the mindset that it's just about, that it's not about them or it's just about them. Right. Like you get so invested in your persona that you say you blab, whatever, and you lose sight of the fact like, oh, I do have 2 million people that are actually interested in hearing this and that might be influenced by it. And it's not, it's about them. It's not just about me and my words that I like to use. So like then if you, but if you make that leap into accountability or responsibility, now you have to think of other people, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, and now you have to think about your repercussions and, Mm -hmm. uh, word choices even more deeply and not just like whether it's going to make me money or make me, mm-hmm. you know, look stupid or me, 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 me. Yeah. And that's part of the cult of personality or that you create a persona and a medium and a public persona. And this people who are famous talk about this all the time. You have almost two split personalities because one of them is your famous person. And one of them is your private person who you actually are. And this is why I think like, Maybe uh, John Stewart and, and these other guys, they might just at a certain point just go, screw it. I'm just going to be myself and I don't care. But you also have to have the platform to be able to do that and the padding of having enough money that if you do get a lawsuit, you can fight it. Mm-hmm. Um, so sort of like an yeah. interesting. I, th- I think John Stewart's that's kind of his position that he's in right now. And that's what I was kind of saying, like when he was on The Daily Show he's under he's working for comedy central now you know i don't know his contract or whatever but i mean he can basically say whatever he wants on his show there's just funding coming from somewhere and it's but it's still just a podcast um so i don't know is it is it different with different types of media Mm, you know mm. it's i think it's a lot easier with podcasting in general to say whatever you want Mm, mm. as opposed to you know if you're going to be on NBC or Fox or Comedy mm-hmm. Central or whatever, you know, you're like you guys were saying earlier, you're probably going to be expected to say certain things or please certain people or mm-hmm. or whatever. I think in John Stewart's show now, he's just, um, you know, he has his bias, just the same as Alex Jones with his show. Alex Jones has his bias, um, mm-hmm. and so yeah, but. There's a question I was just going to ask. Is, uh, so with mainstream news outlets, let's say 
MSNBC and Fox and CNN and whatever, because there's so much financial um, financial influence to whatever uh, please a certain side or whatever you know um, at what point is all the all the private or smaller media like podcasting at what point is podcasting become that too Mm -hmm. or can that become the same thing Mm -hmm. you know right I think it totally can Mm -hmm. right I think it's like you gotta look at it as tiers Mm -hmm. with every tier having like different influences or different characteristics right because it's all these questions of scale Mm -hmm. and the technology itself what it allows for the access that you have to it Mm -hmm. um some people who are um and yeah the podcasting thing is so great and it's like given so much access and information to people who normally wouldn't have it but it maybe if you started doing analysis of the podcast themselves you would see like just where biases lie maybe uh, not as pronounced as everybody knows Fox News and MSNBC and stuff Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah as soon as you throw money into the mix it complicates it right and then it's like Mm -hmm. then it becomes about influence and buying people off and um, contracts and what you agree to say and not say Mm -hmm. um so with with what we kind of came into this whole thing with was uh, you know David mentioned the end of journalism. Oh yeah, yeah. Is the end of journalism kind of just like a bunch of cycles starting over and over and over? Like podcasting is you know especially right when it became a thing, it's like they're it was totally free. You just do whatever you want. And now there's a lot of big corporations, Apple, for example, uh, getting involved in podcasting. So is so like what you're saying, once money starts getting involved, is it just going to turn into the same thing as, you know, Fox News and MSNBC or whatever? And are those channels just going to die at some point? And then podcasting is going to take that place. And then when podcasting gets so big and takes over to a certain amount, is there going to be some other, some other form of media to take the place of what podcasting was and so forth? I mean, so it's just kind of like cycles. Uh-huh. You know, it all just, does it all just cycle? Yeah. So is there an end of journalism? Yeah. Or is it just a bunch of cycles, maybe? Right, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> this is a deep well, question, yeah. That's a deep one. It's <laughs> down there. Um yeah, I don't know. You'd have to ask the journalist. That would be better. <laughs> right, yeah. Just a question for somebody here. who's inside the, inside the industry. Or well, I'm going to get for a, a few million dollars and start a podcast of my own, mm-hmm. financially driven, and ask mm-hmm. very biased questions. And Great. Yeah. Then we'll, figure, we'll figure it out. Right. Absolutely. It's, yeah, it's, I think it's interesting just from like um, a technology perspective, if you think about like... Mm-hmm everyone would talk you can think about your voice as a piece of technology your mouth right and then when writing came along you had to introduce that and now over the centuries people have been most people in the world write there's probably some stats can prove me wrong but um and then they invented the printing press and and then the computer and then 
It's all the means of communication. The, the, the ever-widening access and expanse and then improvement of those tools uh, allows for just a, a sort of a questioning of where that cycle is or if there is a cycle and then what it's going to look like. Because it's, it's funny, you know, if you look at like... Um, People were afraid of TVs are going to take over the world, and they pretty much have. But and computers are going to take over the world and corrupt everybody, and they pretty much have. And and now we have computers that are the size of a, a dot. Mm -hmm. And you can think about like nanotechnology and that type of thing, and quantum as being the next steps in that. But um, the there's still, I still think there's a big middle ground, right? Like most people only have one TV and one computer in their house. Mm -hmm. Most people do not have podcasts. They consume media. They don't create it. Okay. Um, and there's now, and this is, you know, we could talk about monopolies. There's only maybe a dozen major, probably closer to five or three companies that own most of the media in at least in the U.S., there's probably a dozen in the world. Mm -hmm. And you can see the pyramid being created yeah. based, and that's uh, created by access to technology and use of that technology. And I think that's a big part of it. There's Apple, uh, Amazon, right, that owns, um, what's the one that Joe Rogan's podcast is on? Uh, is it Spotify? Spotify, right? Yeah, yeah. I think Amazon owns Spotify now if they haven't sold out. So mm -hmm. they probably will. Um, they're all in it, in it, right? And then the the highest level people rise up and their, their voices get heard like Joe Rogan. Um, will that spin off into a TV show? Will that spin off into something else? Who mm -hmm. knows? But like, mm -hmm. it could. Like, media is <laughs> what we're talking about grant here is big media <laughs> right and, uh, yep i love talking about all those bigs a lot of big big media what was the other one that came out the other night the big breakfast industry big breakfast industry <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally but that's that's real like the, um i think the end of journalism is an interesting question because it's the obvious thing that's asking is like when is it ever going to stop and I mm -hmm. think you're more right that it's not going to stop because people want free speech right. and they want to talk and they will find means to do that. Yeah. But I think the other way to look at it is what is the purpose of journalism? Mm -hmm. And is it to communicate information? Is it to just give a platform for free speech? Is it to tell the truth? Because if it's to tell the truth, then we're having a very different discussion. Yeah. So well, I, guess, I guess that is kind of more the concern that everybody has at this point. And, uh, yeah, that's, I think that's why we're talking about this is because it's hard to, it's hard to just, you can't just dive into, it seems like you can't just turn your TV on and just go to a news channel and just be like, oh, this is just the objective news for today. Cause it's, it's all, there's so much bias. And so how do you, you know, you gotta spend time and look through it and do a bunch of, you know, a bunch of investigating and. Uh, figure out if it is a, if it truly is as objective as what, what they claim it is, which it's probably usually not. 
And yeah, I don't know. There's just there's so many layers to it. I don't. The objectivity police then will have to be created to enforce perfect objectivity. Yes. But that, and this is my take on it, is it's all in the novels and it's all in stories. Like the, like 1984 and Brave New World and like the, you see how media, which are most ones that people know of, Mm -hmm. you see how media is used to manipulate entire societies. Mm -hmm. And that's the question that faces journalists is like, well, what is our ultimate purpose here? And is the real problem George Orwell? (laughs) Well, George is just a genius, but... Um, and a lot of my nuts. Mm-hmm. He's kind of a nutty guy. Yeah, but yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's very there's a, there's so many, and you know, there's kind of a weird, a weird bias thing that I have. As I always say things all the time, like, "Well, this is real 1984ish or something," because mm-hmm. there's there's just so many little things or big things that seem like they're straight out of that book or the beginnings of. You mm-hmm. know, Something straight out of 1984. Also, yeah. also Idiocracy. I don't know if you've ever yeah, seen yeah, that yeah. movie. But. Yeah, yeah, I remember that one. But I think, to go back, like, that's, like, the comedian's role also is to elucidate what the future is. Like, if we head down this path, this is what's going to happen. Like, because you and I have talked about this too, comedians are extremely smart, actually. Mm-hmm. Like, even though some of them are playing buffoons or can be stupid, right, mm-hmm. and saying nonsensical things. Sometimes they can be like very insightful yeah. and be like, this is actually what's happening <laughs> mm-hmm. or this is what could happen. And right. I think same with George Orwell. It's like, it's not so much that this is where things inevitably will go, but this is what happens when you do journalism this way, mm-hmm. you know, and without critical thinking and like, you know, context or mm-hmm. other things. Purely where it's, where it's something like maybe just purely financially driven. Mm. Yeah, or just totally at the service of the state, that and the state becomes corrupt. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right, because that's that's part of it too. Like, like David's example, right? Public, free public radio, mm-hmm. but yet it's obviously biased against a particular Funded. candidate, which is yeah completely going against the principles of right. what public radio is supposed to be. Yeah. So. Yeah. Everything, everybody, everybody has a bias, um, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of, or, I, you know, some people are just a lot better at seeing that, uh, you know, seeing that, you, you know, uh, self-reflecting, oh. self-reflection of uh, understanding if you yourself have a bias and how do you fight that or how do you combat that to to maybe look at other viewpoints or whatever and try to come to a more objective conclusion about something as opposed to just letting your bias completely take over and, you know, uh, just kind of going, going with that, never questioning yourself. Just have to question yourself. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I got. Okay. Oh yeah, journalism. Is it the end? Once journalists stop questioning themselves, then maybe it'll be the end of journalism. Yeah. Yeah. So again, it's like, are the people 
are the other journalists, it comes down to accountability on the journalists. Are they being objective? Can they, can they determine whether or not they are being overly biased? Um, and what is the reason? Is there a, is it a financial gain? Um, or, or, you know, or can they just not come to that? Can they just not see that hmm. in themselves? Wow, that's a whole nother. That'd be a whole another thing. episode there. That's yeah, another episode right there. <laughs> I think accountability is kind of the big flaw we have in our country with everything. Mm. Nobody wants to be held accountable for anything, it seems like. So when you have people that clearly hold themselves accountable for things, um, those are usually the people that seem to be able to, you know, they can be critical about themselves. And, uh, yeah.